All right. Well, this morning, uh, we're calling this Mission Reminder Sunday or Mission Review Sunday uh, to clarify that, that we, as a local church, we are, we are here on a mission together. Right, so I, I know that we've got all kinds of folks that come and, and begin to participate in the church, and we all have different backgrounds, and maybe you have different ideas about what the church is supposed to be anyway. Right? You grew up driving past church buildings, and, and maybe you never were really a part of a church. So where do you get your ideas from as to what are we doing here? Right? Every Sunday we gather together here. What, what, what's this meeting all about? What does it mean to be a local church yeah, I think in your outline there, I put something about the, the thoughts about supermarkets and saints teams. You, know, you, you approach stuff like that differently in your life. I don't know how loyal you are to your supermarkets, but for me, supermarkets exist. Well, actually, my wife and I are the exact opposite. My wife will only shop at one supermarket, and that's Dornax. Um, I will shop at anything that's convenient, on the way, cheap. Those are the three things for me. If so if it's those three things, you get my business. Um, and there's probably a bunch of things in our lives that are like that, right? Maybe you're not loyal to a particular hotel chain when you travel. It's just whatever one's the, the nearest one, whatever's got the best price, etc. But then there are some things in our lives that don't sit in our life that way. The saints, right? right we are loyal, uh, good and bad. We know when the game is. We, we probably know when draft day is coming up. We know what they're thinking about drafting and what would be a good idea here. We kind of orient our lives around Saints teams. Or you do this with your schools. Your kids go to school somewhere. You know, you have a sense of vision and connection with that school. For you, it plays an important role in your life. It's educating your kids. And so one of the things that we do with those kinds of institutions is, is we orient our lives around them, right? The Saints don't schedule their schedule around us, right? They schedule their schedule around their agenda. We schedule our lives around them. Your school doesn't call you and say, hey, what time would y'all like to start school this year? Uh, <clears throat> you adjust your life for it because it plays a certain role in your life that you get it. That's how that's to operate. You know, well, the local church, we participate in the local church that way. It is a place of loyalty for us. It is a place of vital living connection for us. It's got things going on in it that, I mean, quite honestly, I'm not saying this because I'm a pastor and not the principal of a school, uh, is more important than what schools are doing. Schools are educating us to function in this world that we will temporarily visit. The kingdom of God serves to advance things that are eternal. And so we do take up a place in life as a local church that says, hey, schedule your life around this because these things matter. And so part of what I want us to do today is just to recapture a sense of the local church and, and what's its purpose. And as we move through some of the more functional information today, we'll, we'll get a chance to see why do these aspects of the church's life, why are they in our lives and, and, and how are they important? And, and part of that meeting time is intended to, to be some Q&A time for maybe for you to explore some questions and for us to give some answers. And we want to explore some questions with you as well about the life of the church uh, together after this preaching time. All right, so thought. I think I've got a little slide here. I want to put something really simple up. This is what it means to be a local church. It is simply this. A local church is this. It is a relational and functional setting. There are relationships there. 
relationships that actually have a function. All right, so that's one thing that the local church is. The other thing is the local church is a missional setting. Right? It, is a, it is a gathering of people who are on a mission together. And that mission has two dimensions to it that I want to explore real quickly. It's a mission to receive people and a mission to send the gospel. Right, so if you just wanted one slide that said, Keith, what are we doing here as a local church? That's what we're doing here as a local church. Let me walk through just some thoughts. And in your outline, there's some passages there you can look at with me. It is a relational and functional setting. And there are pictures that God gives in the scripture to explain what is this thing called the local church. Well, first century New Testament would use terms like sheep and flock. Right? It is a gathering like a flock of sheep. And there's imagery there that informs us as to what does that mean for you and me. Well, look at this passage here in 1 Peter chapter 5. Let me just highlight some of these vocabulary words here that need to inform every Christian in order to understand what does it mean to even be involved in a local church setting. Well, these are words that need to have real application for each of us individually. Here's what Peter said. He said, so I exhort... The elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Right, so every Christian is called on to have a working definition with these words in their lives. So there's something in your life, if you're part of a local church, there's something in your life called elders. And they play a role of exercising oversight in things that touch your life. That's why announcements are what they are. Because elders have given direction to what's coming next in the church, and those things are designed to touch and inform your life. See, this is why you should never read the announcements with an attitude that says, oh, well, uh, that's not for me. Because in God's economy, he has placed these people and these functions in every one of our lives. Listen, if these words don't function in our lives, you're really not a part of a local church. And that doesn't mean you don't come in this building every week and sit in a chair. But that that means you're part of coming in a building and sitting in a chair. To be part of a local church means you know what elders are. And they're calling. That they're called to shepherd the flock. And there's this important little phrase there called among you. That's a huge phrase. Because it immediately gives territory. It gives geography to your life. Some people have this Christianity that's so much bigger than what the Bible ever meant it to be. Their Christianity is, well, you know, I'm following Jesus and I'm a Christian with all the other Christians in the world. Yeah. And there is a dimension of that mentioned in Scripture. But this language here is where Christianity becomes real in your life. It needs to have a dimension where something is among you. You're not just walking around thinking, well, I'm, I'm, I'm the Christian brother to the guy in China who's a Christian too. Well, on paper, yes, you are. Functionally, no, you're not. Functionally, somebody's got to be among you for you to have a relationship with them. And so there's a flock dimension in the Bible where, yes, we are all following the great shepherd, but you see here in this passage that his plan was to have under-shepherds who functioned among us. 
And so if we're not engaging that, if the leadership of elders doesn't touch our lives, then the local church isn't touching our lives. If we don't have a relational setting that is among us, where we have some borders on our lives, then we're not participating in the local church, even though we might think that we are. So these are huge words. Local church is also a family or a household. Right? We're familiar with these terms. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So we have become not, again, we're just not people who pull up in a parking lot and come into a particular building in a particular section of town. We are members of a household. So there's a family dimension to who we are together. Even as big as we are, there's a family dimension that we still function like a family. And then Paul goes as far to say this in 1 Timothy 3. He told the early first century church, I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. In other words, there's a right way to do this. This isn't up for grabs. It's not like any church can just sign on and come up with their own ideas and forge their own way of doing things. No, God says, you know, I've created a family. I've called it my household. And there's a way to do that that matters. And so that means every one of us needs to be on board with the idea, well, what way is that? How should one behave in the household of God? And so all of us are called upon then to learn what that means. All right, last thing, the local church is a body. Right, the illustration that's in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And in verse 14 it says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. That's a big point. Because it is popular today in our world for Christianity to get over-individualized. It is about me and God, and me and God, and me and God. And I need to hear the Bible jump into my world and inform me that, well, not exactly, right? Because the body does not consist of one member. It's like, you can't even be a Christian by yourself. That's not even biblical. Because it doesn't consist of one member. It consists of many members. Those people need to have room to function in our lives. You know, the illustration is, is body parts that are connected. Eyes and ears that come together to make one body do something, right? So that's what we're doing. We're a local church that expresses the life of Christ by many members coming together to do this one thing. To share in this vision. So here's our conclusion. Uh, I'm going to skip Ephesians. I know. I think I've got enough time to do that one. Ephesians 4. This is, this is a wonderfully strategic discipleship verse. If you just were shopping for one of the few strategic discipleship verses in the Bible, this would be one you wouldn't want to walk past. All right, so God has got this local church. In verse 11 it says, He gave to this church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. And here's why He did so that they would equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up that body of Christ. Right. So there's the strategic plan of God, that he would give leaders in these particular gifts 
to the church in order to equip the saints. So there is a strategic equipping that needs to take place in our lives together when we gather so that you, every member, every body member can do the work of ministry and build the body up. Right? That's our strategy and we're all in that together. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Right? That's a sobering description. That's a dangerous description. That's a Bible that's saying there's a strategy here that matters. Because without this strategy, you are those things. You are people tossed to and fro. And all of us are prone to believe things that are full of error and bad ideas. And we're not going to fulfill our mission to grow up into the maturity and build up the body of Christ. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love. So that's a massive assignment for the church. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, what happens? It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What if this verse is true? then it matters what everybody in the body is doing. Every person is in this description. Each part is working properly. When each part is working properly, the body benefits in a way that builds itself up in love and the church becomes something in God's plan. When each part is working properly. I'm a part. Peter's a part. Elders are a part. Your part. Right, so all of us need to be sitting before God and asking that question, right? Am, am I functioning in this setting, relating to this setting and functioning in it the way in which you've called me to do that? Right, so this is a great moment for us throughout the, the life of the church to just stop and ponder that question. Not to think that that's the thing that a certain number of people have to answer that question, whoever those special people are. Everybody's got to answer this question. And if every part is not working, then it impacts whether or not we as a church together fulfill the mission that we're on. Right? All right, what is that mission? All right, we, are, we are a relational, functional setting, and we are a missional setting. Right? If you walk in the church from the veterans highway side, you walk past two plaques. One of them faces you as you're coming in. The other one faces you as you're going out. Those obviously were put there on on purpose because they represent what we think should greet you and send you when you come in and out of gathering with us. On your way in, Matthew chapter 11 verse 28, 29 is there. It says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls all right so you have the lord jesus the commander the chief shepherd over why we exist standing out in front of the people of god proclaiming to the world an invitation to come 
So therefore, you and I are on a mission to receive people into our lives. Now, I, I'm going to spend just a moment on this thought because I think this is, a, this is a really challenging dimension to being a healthy local church. The way in which we receive people into our lives. That church can often become a place where I found a church to be a part of because it serves me in a particular way. Or it agrees with me in a particular way. And we would say that's important. Right? We would say doctrinally it's very important that you're in this church because you've evaluated what we believe and you have a level of agreement with it that allows you to function in good conscience to receive from its teaching. But listen, there's a little insidious problem in these categories. I found a church, uh, I, I, I like its style, I like its people, I like its message, I like the way it relates to my priorities and my convictions. There are ways that I want to do life, there's ways that I want to be married, there's ways that I want to do family, there's ways that I want to talk about money. And I found a church that serves me in those categories. All right, so we like that. But Jesus stands out in front of this church and screams out at the world and calls on weary travelers to come on in here. And you know, when they come in, they don't do life like you and me. They don't agree with our ideas. They don't have your convictions. You know, the ones that it took you 20 years as a Christian to come to? They don't have them. They don't practice life the way that we do. This is a real problem. This is a giant problem for churches. Some churches get so clear on who they want to be locally that they sort of can't receive anybody into their setting. That's a problem. Because the Lord Jesus stands out inviting people. And when he invites them to himself, he's inviting them to church. That's where he's calling them to be. So it's as though we exist as a bit of a a refuge for the refugees in this world. And we get that, right? We get when we read the Bible that the factors that touch life out there in this world, they're gruesome and they're powerful, right? We get that sin is out in the world. This deadly viral infection that entered into the human race all the way back to Adam And it brings its own brand of destruction in all kinds of categories. And woe and darkness and confusion, heaviness into people's lives. We get why that is. And we have an answer for it. We understand that when you walk out into this world, there are spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. There are forces that people are encountering in their life that they either don't believe in at all, or they've been educated by Hollywood to believe something about it. And and you and I are are welcoming those people who have been beat up by those forces. We're welcoming people who know something about what it is to be tempted and deceived by sin so that their life begins to practice things that are harmful and destructive and discouraging in their lives. We know something about explaining why the world feels so heavy, why the headlines are full of tragedies and suffering in people's lives. That's the everyday traffic that passes in front of us as a church, if you will. And Jesus screams into those locations and says, Come to me, all of you who are wearied and heavy laden by walking out your life that way. 
Come here and learn from me. And you'll find rest for your souls. All right, so people have got to find their way into our setting. And can I tell you, this is not an easy thing to do. This is a very challenging thing to do. As a matter of fact, some people will leave churches because churches are doing this. I think I put your outline there. Being a community of healing in this world takes care. It takes knowledge. You have to learn to do this. It takes expertise. It takes training. It takes skill. This is something that's a challenge to do. We are in the operation of seeing the world redeemed, brought back to God, overcoming arguments, involving ourselves in the messes that have tied people's lives up. That, that takes some knowledge. We're a bit of a hospital. How many of you guys want to walk into a hospital and nobody's been trained and nobody pays attention and they come every other week to do their job? Right? When you just rub the roll in, you know, into the emergency room and, you know, it kind of looks like a prayer meeting at a church. It's like, where is everybody? <laughs> well, uh, you know, not, not everybody comes all the time. Uh, You want people on task who have been trained and are experts. We have a responsibility to be ready to receive people, which means we have to learn. We have to learn how to relate to them. Learn what to say, what not to say. What to make an agenda the first time you shake their hand and they walk through the door and they're dressed funny. They act funny. They say something funny. Or they've been here for a few months and they do that. This takes a little skill and intentionality and growth and self-examination on our part to be able to do that. It takes learning. It takes strategic learning. You guys will remember last year, well, we made some announcements about a series of teachings that we were doing. It was outside of Sunday morning. It was going to be doing the School of the Word. We made some book material available for it. It was a study in the doctrines of grace. Some of you guys came to that. Maybe about 100 people each week came to that meeting. All right, can I tell you, when we make an announcement like that, that's a strategic reason why we're doing that. But what it may sound like for you is, you know, hey, I'm getting enough out of Sunday mornings. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't really need to be reading a book on the doctrines of grace, doctrine. I'm not real big on doctrine. I'm not real big on reading. You know, why do I need to know that? I'm not going to be teaching a Bible study on any of this stuff. You know, why, why would I need to kind of really get in deep about these deep spiritual things like the doctrines of grace? So we make a decision. We're not going to come to that. See, but, but what you don't realize, and we're not asking you to realize, we're just asking you to be led, is the doctrines of grace inform the way you do relationships with each other. When you get a glimpse, I definitely don't have time to do this. When you get a glimpse, (laughs) when you get a glimpse of the God who chooses to be in relationship with you, and you understand your total depravity, and the divine elective moment when God, out of something inside of him, decides to be gracious to you and build and have a relationship with you, full of its faithfulness, full of its intrusion, full of stepping into your life with your back turned to God as an enemy, thumbing your nose at God, complaining about everything in the universe that he's created, and yet he chases you down. 
and he relates to you and he makes mercy and forgiveness available to you at his insistence in your life. How many can suspect that that might affect the way you relate to others? It might save your marriage because it might inject humility into your life that lets you be towards another person what that other person is giving you no reason to be in their life. Where'd you get that idea from? From studying the doctrines of grace. How did you know how to not freak out when that person sat in your covenant group who'd been coming to the church for two weeks and they've got the most harebrained idea about how to do life and they think that's in the Bible and it's got nothing to do with the Bible and you're about to respond to that person and your response perhaps is either going to run them off or draw them in. How many of you know the doctrines of grace are going to inform your level of humility? as to how you relate to that person who's now saying something really stupid that you learned after 10 years of being in church to know that that was stupid. You didn't know that after the first year, but you eventually figured that out. And we create an environment here. How does that environment get created? Well, can I tell you, it doesn't get created by skipping the class on the doctrines of grace. Because that means we're a bunch of people who don't get a lot of this stuff. See, To be a a group of people that receive people into our midst, you don't receive by accident. you got to receive intentionally. It takes growth. It takes maturity. Because the Son of God stands at the front, if you will, of the church and screams at the world to come in. You who are wearied, wearied by your own bad ideas. How many of you guys know that the world is wearied by its own bad ideas? How many know they're convinced of their own bad ideas? How many know when they come in here, after a week or two or a year, they're still going to be convinced of their own bad ideas? And you've got to figure out whether you want to be a part of a church like that. Whether you want to open your life up. Whether you want to patiently walk with people. There's a pastor named Ray Orland in Nashville who wrote a, a, a book where he coined a term called gospel culture. He said, this is what a gospel culture is. It is the gospel Obviously the message. It is safety in that setting plus time equals a gospel culture. Time, because all of us who are Christians know, it it took some time for us to grow, didn't it? Anybody grow instantly when you came to Christ? Anybody still growing? Anybody still got issues? (laughs) It takes time, doesn't it? And it takes us a place of safety where it feels like, you know, it's safe for me to fail. It's safe for me to not measure up. It's safe for me to have warts. And that needs to be the church that we're creating to receive people into it. Listen, this doesn't happen by accident, right? Here's two odd things. I've never had enough time. Um, Last thing in that little section. It means learning to be a community where the weary find a welcome and learning to be a community that is shaped by biblical convictions. It's both. You should have deep ideas inside of you that matter. You know, listen, the remedy out in the world is build a church that's got no doctrine in it. Therefore, it gets along with everybody. Anybody can come in and out of here. They can live whatever life, have whatever opinion about whatever. But that church doesn't have any doctrinal moorings, so it's never offended. That's not the church we're aiming at being. This Bible's filled with good, solid things for us to believe wholeheartedly. 
And when I get convinced that it's the right way and the best way and the only way, now I have a problem being with you and your scatterbrained ideas. And yet, I've got to figure out how to do that. You remember, it was the people with convictions in the Bible who had the hardest trouble with this. Jesus could let prostitutes come and hang out with him. He could go have a meal at the tax gatherer's home. Because he could welcome the weary from all kinds of places. But the Pharisees, with all their convictions, couldn't stand him doing that. That's the challenge church has. To receive people. And we have to learn to do that. Alright, here's our last plaque on your way out. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Alright, so we are on a mission to receive people, but we are on a mission to send the gospel. And we send the gospel locally, globally, and I'll try and reserve some of these thoughts for when we get into the meeting. But let me just just say this one. It is a challenge for churches to reach people. It's a challenge. And of all the ways that we're going to discuss today about going global with the gospel, one of the ways that I love the fact that we love this as a church, and this has made significant headway into our lives, is that the way in which we, we reach the world with the gospel is through the epicenters of every individual's lives. Right? You live your life somewhere besides here. Right? I notice I'm, I'm here during the week. Y'all are not here. Uh, this is not what it looks like during the week. Because you're out living your life somewhere. You're around people. You're caring for family and extended family. You're having conversations with your neighbors. You go to work and you spend time on a daily basis with people at work. Those are the epicenters... For us to do gospel outreach. Those locations. Those moments. Those relationships. And so many of you do an incredible job. Of reaching people. Now listen I know it can sound like. We're going to reach people by starting a soup kitchen downtown. Or we're going to support this missionary over here. And, and, And we should do all those things. But the epicenter where we will be most effective. In bringing the gospel. Is into the settings where you have relationships with other human beings. And if you look around this room, that's the story of why the saved people are in this room. If I ask for a show of hands right now, how many of you guys got saved by a tract that was given to you on the street or a soup kitchen outreach? It'd be very few hands. I said, how many of you guys got saved because somebody in your life shared the gospel with you? And then they brought you to a church. Hands would go up everywhere, wouldn't they? That's the epicenter. And I just want to say this one thing, and I'm done with time. Anyway, um, I got this letter just this past week from a person who was here for our Easter service. Uh, came to the Easter service because of a relationship with somebody in the church. Now, I don't have permission to read this letter, so I'm going to leave out particular details. But this is what this person said in writing the letter to us. She said, at my job, I met blank, person who's part of the church. She is a member of Lakeview Christians and my angel. I was working side by side. Now, this person had gone into great detail about things that they used to believe that got fixed, etc. She says, I was working side by side with her. We talked about anything and everything. She brought me closer to Jesus. She helped me understand why I was so confused. I started to see clearer and clearer and started to really read my Bible. If I had questions, she would try to answer them or send me to a source. 
blank kept telling me, you really need to listen to Keith. He was really good this Sunday. That's probably a rare moment, but I appreciate that. <clears throat> or Evan was good. Go listen. I got, the lady, the lady says this, I got an iPod and I can hear y'all great. I was so excited, capital letters. And she informed me that she came to church this past Easter Sunday and then she said, Jesus has put blank and I together for a reason. Here's what I love about this. And I got another letter just a few months ago from a man who was served by one of you. I won't, again, I won't mention any names. Just, you're just doing your job. But in doing your job to this person, you were serving in such a way and you had served so out loud about your faith that they knew that when they wanted to honor you, right, this is the person in the church, they wanted to honor this person because that person had served so effectively. They wanted to give the person some money the person wouldn't receive any money from them. So you know what the guy does? He contacts us and sends a donation to the church on that person's behalf. All right, now here's what's amazing to me. One, that the guy wanted to part with his money and give it to a church. Two, that he had any idea who we were. How did he know who we were? Because just like this person, they live a life that says, I'm a part of something. I'm a part of this particular local church. God is doing something in my life through this. Hey, you ought to listen to this. Hey, you ought to come to this. Hey, why don't you check this thing out? Because this place was part of the epicenters of life elsewhere. So the people who have ministered to their family members, administer to people at work, they portray a Christianity that involves a local church, which is what it should look like and sound like. And these people were reached as a result of that. So listen, uh, as we go through some details here this morning, uh, what we're trying to do is just answer to the mission that we have. You know, what's the mission that we have? Well, we're to receive people into our midst, into a community that, that there's real relationships here. There's real function among us. And we can welcome people into our setting and we can send the gospel into our community and around the world. And we just want to stop this morning and take a moment and see how we're doing in that. So let's pray together and we're going to take a break. Father, thank you that we are here in this setting this morning with our minds and our hearts open to the kingdom of God with the things that matter the most in eternity mattering to us right now in our lives. God, we are so grateful. And Father, we want to be a church that answers the call that you've given us in all the ways that you have. And so, Lord, help us to be together all the more in this great calling. And Lord, thank you for these folks here who make this church full of life, full of outreach, and a place where people can be received graciously to be cared for. In Jesus' name, amen.